my God. Welcome, everybody. Oh, my God. Welcome back to Love or Die, our first podcast of the year. Happy New Year, everyone. And welcome, Mark. And welcome, Andrew. Hello. Welcome, good people. Happy New Year. Welcome, 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 welcome. Welcome, welcome. Yay. So thank you, Lirazi. And Lirazi and I have been studying together, I think, for a decade. It's been a decade of deep, deep, intensive study. And so Lirazi is a deep lineage holder, right, in this, um, in this unfolding lineage of, of Solomon, this, this, this new story of value, this cosmorotic humanism. And Andrew, we are madly delighted to be talking to you. I just want to invite everyone. I'm in the Northeast Kingdom, and then I'm going to turn to Andrew to open us up back into the Tree of Life. And it's one of those perfect days in our quite imperfect world where the snow is kind of perfectly like landing on the ground, and it's a kind of a bright, sunny day. And, you know, there's about 2,000 people who live in this town, right? Not a big culinary menu, right, if you're interested in that. Um, but it's just, you know, one of those days in which nature herself, right, kind of that kind of covered in white, you know, sings of possibility and aesthetics are kind of filled with goodness. So, mm. yeah, I know those Vermont days. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah, you know, it's really. So it's great to be with everyone. Andrew, it's good to see you, brother. Great to see yeah. you. Yeah. Tree of life. Tree of life. Yeah. So we've covered the, uh, the top three, the supernal triad. So, I mean, the, I'm getting my, my sources from odd places, but this is what I've heard it being called. And it's the Kederbina and Hakama, right? The top of the tree. I was thinking maybe this time, you could help us with the sort of general architecture of the whole thing. Because from what I understand, there's the top three, you know, um, top three stories, you've called them. And mm-hmm. then there's the bottom seven stories, which are mapped onto the, the seven days of, of Genesis in some traditions. And, right. And, right. Um, and so, so, so the top three are supposed to be beyond manifestation and, and, the, and the, the, these three are supposed to be, we're moving into manifestation or, or something like that. So maybe, I mean, here's the question, brother. So, mm-hmm. so we're in our third conversation and if yeah. we could maybe again, as we always do, perhaps Lee Rossi, just, just, or, or Krista, that just so we get, people can see the tree of life. So if someone's joining us for the first time, you know, they don't have to have the entire background. So if we could maybe have in the chat box, just if anyone wants to take a look at it, take a look at the tree of life. So that's one, just, so we have that in the, in the context. Okay. So thank you. Thank you, Zohar. Okay. So that's great. So that's one. Two is, I mean, here's my thought, right? What we could do is because, you know, the, I'm, I'm looking forward here. Let me just go in the chat box. Here we go. Okay. Right. Great. Okay. So what we could do is maybe, maybe Andrew, to fulfill your desire. And you know that, you know, my, my basic goal in our, in our conversations is to fulfill your desire. So there's some place where that's the major intention, right? So that is our intention here. So to fulfill your desire, perhaps what we, we could do is then to merge a little bit of a, my thought with it is maybe we could go in order and it's, we'll go to the next illumination. But in the next illumination, we'll, we'll use that occasion, the next illumination, which is a perfect place to expand into the larger tree. Because from the next illumination, which is chesed, chesed yeah. overflowing love, right? We actually get a sense of the tree, right? That's going to give us a sense of, 
of what's happening. So the next, the next dyad is very, very important. And that's a good place from which to both look at that dyad and then also kind of look at the tree. But l- let's begin with, if, if it's okay. So Andrew, you threw out this notion of the supernal triad, which is used in kind of, um, both in actually Hebrew interior scientists and in Christian Kabbalah, you know, that term, you know, the, the top three, the, yeah. the, right, the highest. And let's perhaps go back to a, an image that we, that we met in the beginning of our conversations where we established that the sephirot, which mean both sapir, sapphire, and they also mean illumination, the illumination of the sapphire stone, right? Sapir, light, right? is an expression of light. And it's also sipur, which is story that you just alluded to. So there are, there are these 10 points of light, but those points of light are stories. Now, this is a very, very big idea, meaning a story is not a human creation. It's one of the things I've, I've been kind of screaming from the rooftops in the last, you know, decade is something like, you know, the ontology of stories all the way up and all the way down, that these 10 stories are the 10 primary plotline stories of reality, right? So we've talked about three of them, which you called, you know, the top three, the higher manifestation, which, as you alluded to, are generally said to be beyond this world. Yeah. And then the bottom seven that we're about to engage in the tree of life, right, engage this world, right? Those are the ones that are actually the stories that are more accessible and more recognizable, the plot lines, the, the, the sipurim. So that, that is both accurate and inaccurate in a very, very beautiful way. And so I want to, I want to go back there for a second. It's a beautiful way to start. So if you remember, we adduced a text in in Luria, right? And this text in Luria is also cited by this this beautiful man Nachman of Breslov, right? Rabbi Nachman, yeah. Mm. Right, Rabbi Nachman. So Rabbi Nachman, right, has this very complex teaching, which people are like, no one ever gets to it because it's kind of at a particular place in the book, which is kind of towards the end that that you don't get to. And a dear friend of mine. Right, who who we studied together once a week, and he's probably like kind of the leading public Kabbalah scholar, you know, in um, North America, who shall remain nameless. And so I I studied with him this text, and I tried to share with him what this text was saying. And this text is talking about, I'll just give you one line from it. Right, it's talking about that word that we invoked, which is this word aye. Right, aye, a y e h in English and. Zohar, who just put the Tree of Life in the chat box, Zohar, about four or five years ago, you and I spent an entire Holy of Holies studying this text of, of Nachman, right, where he basically says that there's one moment in the world, right, when you actually transcend, right, you end the trance of the seven lower stories, which we're going to begin talking about, which are beautiful and, and sacred and wildly important and stunning, but you, you step beyond the seven lower Sephirot, the seven lower illuminations, the seven lower points, the seven lower Sephirot in the tree of life, and you actually become one with the upper three. You actually embody the upper three. And when does that happen? When you actually see suffering, you see suffering, and you scream out, aye, where is God? So in a world, my brother, of CNN, 
right? In a world where only God saw 50 years ago the amount of suffering that's available to every human being in the world today, right? In actual visual images. And we don't notice that that is a, a radical change of what it means to be a human being that goes completely unnoticed. In other words, right, we've completely changed the experience of a human being where a human being today who tracks CNN and social media, right? I mean, I get on the thread of my phone. I have a an Arab thread and an Israeli thread. Both of them give me, from Gaza, live feats of battles. Hmm. Literally, from the head cams of both sides, right, on my phone. That's insane. Right? I mean, <laughs> right? You literally see boys going it right. You see, I mean, it's, it's right? And, and you see images, you know, of unbearable suffering on CNN. So we're in this place and where there's this new human vision, which is unbearable suffering. So that can either cause two things. It either causes us to turn away, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the basic movement, let's say, of, um, you know, uh, this gentleman who, who wrote a book with um, our friend, uh, Mr. Chopra, and, and, and Mr. Chopra, Deepak, sent me the book after a conversation we had. He did it with a, a professor, a Leonard Milano, who's a professor at Caltech. And it's called The War of Worldviews. Right? So on page 63, there's the only important page there. Right? I mean, it's a lovely book. But the one important page where Milano says, listen, right? My mother was in Auschwitz. That he describes a horrific Auschwitz scene. And he says, I want nothing to do, right, with this claim of, you know, absolute spirit in the world. And, and all the rest of the book is basically from that premise. So he sees evil. And he turns away. But there's another response. That's, of course, that's, of course, Ivan and Brothers Karamazov. Yeah. Right. In his conversation with Alyosha. Right. Right. And and. And and it runs through as Elena, we've talked about it runs as a theme, like major existential themes do through the beauty of Russian literature. So there's another response. The other response is you see evil and it rips your heart apart. And you know that it's a violation of something essential and you know that it shouldn't be there. And you realize, oh, my God, I live in an intimate universe. Right. Because evil is a failure of intimacy. And then says Luria, then you become Keter Chochman Bina. At that moment, when you scream in protest and you say, Aye, Aleph, Keter, Yud, the second letter, Chochma, Hey, the third letter, Bina. Right. When I see evil and I scream and my heart's broken at the world, my heart's utterly devastated and broken in that moment of utter brokenness. Nachman writes, Ein shalem shavur. there's nothing as whole as a broken heart. At that moment, I'm completely whole. At that moment, I'm utterly merged with the top three spheres. But I become the divine story. I become God. Mm-hmm. So that. It's shocking. It's unbearably beautiful. It's unbearably paradoxical and it's true. So, so there is, there are these moments in life where everything falls aside, right? And we scream, Oh God, right? And those are these moments of ultimate explosion. And that ultimate explosion is not only an orgiastic ecstasy, right? It's in the ecstasy of protest. 
when when I demand justice and I'm horrified by that which my gaze is forced to bear, and in the scream of protest, I become one with the upper three Svirot and the tree of life. So in that sense, you begin to see how the easy distinctions don't quite work. In other words, these the supernal triad actually enters into the very center of modern life. You can't approach CNN, right, which is this new moment, this new moment in humanity that literally never existed before. And we forget that. It never existed before. Right? I mean, last sentence, right? I mean, when the, the Allied forces bombed Germany, right, at the end of World War II, we didn't see pictures of the bombings. Right. In other words, you yeah. did, right? You, you didn't see basically children being taken out of the rubble. Right. Yeah. So you could kind of put it in a corner of your 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 head, right? And even you you could say this is what we need to do in order to defeat, defeat Nazism and onward Christian soldiers, as it were. Right. It, it's a different reality, and, and it creates a complexity and a pain right, that rips us apart, and that should rip us apart. But in that ripping apart, we become God. Hmm. Cha. Okay. So what I was thinking about when you were talking is a few things. I I was thinking about when I first saw the videos coming out of, you know, on on Twitter or something, and uh, I just saw them and I started sobbing and then I felt a sense of intense despair. Um, and then, and then I, something shifted a little bit and I was able to, you know, function again. <laughs> you know, it's almost like that, right? So I, I, what you're saying, I, I can see that it could happen on a very big level, a big epic level, as you're describing, but also happen, you know, like, like it on a very small sort of like day to day level. Like almost like we go through this, you know, you know, in our daily life a lot. Yeah. That's one thought, thought. And the second thought I had was like, uh, we're doing a course on, on, on on Gurdjieff, who I'm very fond of, and and he was always talking about um, the terror of the situation and how important it is to 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 move into the terror of the situation to make this quantum leap, which he called an octave in music. So it's you know it's an octave is 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 a sort of quantum leap from where you are to some some other place, and that that really reminds me of of what you're you're talking about here, and you know in different language and different terms. Yeah, amen, right, right, as to face into the terror of the situation and into the intense beauty of the situation. Yeah. Right, and we'll have to have it a different time. We'll do a dialogue on Gurdjieff where there's a lot, there's a lot to say about that. There's, I had a, I had a very deep Gurdjieff phase and, and left it for a bunch of reasons, but that's a, that's a, that's a different conversation. We have, we have many waiting. We stay in the tree of life, but it is worth saying though that I have to face into the terror of the situation that as you say, Andrew, brother, it's intimately personal. Has to become it's part of the fabric of the personal, and I also have to face into the intense beauty, right, of the situation, right, mm-hmm. and and what we it, it's why we we begin the dharma of cosmorotic humanism. We were talking about it a little while ago with we live in a world of outrageous pain. Sentence one, sentence two, we live in a world of outrageous beauty, and you can't have one without the other. The terror and the beauty are complete interpenetrated, and it can't be an idea. And, you know, one of the problems with ideas is, you know, there's one one person who I love dearly, who whenever I share a Dharma with, the person who I know that, right? And then we're not, you got, you got to, you got to, we got to be a baby. We got to like open up and just hear it afresh, see the beauty afresh right? and, and, and see the terror afresh, right? But we can't do it all the time. So this is, I just want to just offer with, with permission, brother, a, 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 
a practice, a first principle, and Nachman calls it right, to participate in the pain of the Shekhinah of Goddess, of the Shekhinah of She in exile, which is a practice that I do for five minutes a day. Right, because, because I can't face into the terror in every moment, and I can't face into the, right, I'm overwhelmed, right? And so I have to, so there's a practice where for five minutes a day I stop, right, I bracket, and I allow myself first to face into the beauty, then to face into the terror, and then go back to the beauty. So the terror mm-hmm. is held between these two beauties, right? And, and I actually spend it, but it's actually the whole practice is five, six minutes a day, and then I go back to my life. Because that allows me, and it's a very, very powerful practice, because m- mental institutions are filled with our most sane people, right, who mm-hmm. couldn't actually justify turning yeah. away, right? Yeah. And so we have to be able to face in and not turn away, and yet and yet maintain our capacity to to be God's verbs, to be verbs of eros. And so that practice for me, right, since I'm, you know, 17, 18, has been kind of core to practice, right, to every day face into, to participate in both the pain and the beauty of the Shekhinah, you know, five minutes a day full on, and then to step back and then to engage. The exile of the Shekhinah, you said. The exile, the, the, the right to... Mm-hmm. Participate with the pain of the Shekhinah and exile, right? Which is, which is first to look into the terror, to look into the pain, because she, because the Shekhinah is not just the infinity of power, she's the infinity of pain, hmm. right? And there's, we think of the Shekhinah as the infinity of power, but the Shekhinah is the infinity of feeling, the infinity of pain. So imagine my broken heart. And then exponentialize into infinity, Gödel's theorem, this, you know, this increasing infinity, right, of pain, right? Mm-hmm. So if, 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 if divinity is infinite, right, it's not just infinite power, it's infinite pain. And so am I willing to, to risk my very being to for a moment cry with she, right? And, and at the same time, the ecstasy of she is infinite. Again, she's not just infinity of power or infinity of pain. She's infinity of joy. She's infinity of ecstasy. So am I willing, right, to, to bracket the, my pleasure ceiling, right, and to actually step to the other side and participate with her in the unimaginably infinite laughter of cosmos, Yoshev, Bashamayim Yitzchak. She sits in the heavens, Yitzchak, and she laughs. So that practice, right, is, is what makes, what makes us homo more. It's how we, it's how we become the new human, the new humanity. So, so this is that's, a, that's how we do it. That's, 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 how we do it. that's really beautiful. That's incredible. Yeah. And it also, it. it also helps me a lot bring these things in, you know, down from abstraction, you know, like right. in the, in the, in the iconography, you always see the goddess and she has a, she has a butcher knife in one hand and she has a, a bowl of nectar in, in the other. So, so that's what you're talking about. But you know, I, I often think that of that in abstraction, but but it's not abstract. <laughs> you know? right. No, no, you have to make right. In other words, one of the things I sat with my my dear friend Sally Kempton. Um, she was writing a book um, back in the day, a few years back, called Awakening Shakti. And I was um, we were we were in um, we were in 
um, wherever that is, Pacific, Pacific Grove, wherever we were, not Pacific Grove in, um, Carmel Valley. And it was a several month period where I was there. And so we were, we each had our own wing of the house and she was writing Awakening Shakti and we would, we would look at the images of she, right? And the images in the Hebrew lineage and okay, now what does that mean? Right? Let's translate that, right? But not, again, this is the key. This is so beautiful and it's so deep. So it's not that we're going to make it accessible. That That's not what it means. It means in, in all hermeneutics of interior sciences, there's what they call a fourfold path. And there's about ten mm-hmm. of it. But in the fourfold path, you have shot, the sim- simplest interpretation. Then you have remez, the illusion, right? What's the archetypal illusion, right? There's drash. There's a kind of deeper, you know, kind of, you know, allegoric, mystical meaning. And then there's shod, which is the deepest mystery. So does the, the secret, the deepest secret. So keter, the highest in the tree of life, right, is sod, the deepest, mm-hmm. deepest secret. Shekhinah, or malchut, right, the first, right, the lowest, if you will, Right, the lowest in the tree of life is pshat, simple. But keter and malchut are one. Are one, yeah, right, yeah. I was going to ask you about that at one point. The oneness of the two, because because when at the beginning I said higher and lower, and whenever I say that, I think it's as you say, it's right and it's wrong because it's not higher and lower because they're non-dual. I I hate sorry to use that word, but they're not two. They're not two. They're not two. They're 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 dimensions of reality and so what that means is in terms of what our conversation it's that unless you can access it in its most elemental simple way you actually don't understand it in other words that's the way the interior scientists the way there's a term that i coined about i don't know 15 20 years ago i call an erotic mystic right so we're a band of outrageous lovers of erotic mystics the way the erotic mystic or the way the 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 realizer right is able to express iconography is actually because they have a deep interior experience, right? And they, people forget that. So people go to the iconography or to the book or to the theosophy when actually the theosophy is a merger of the study of a lineage with one's own deepest inner realizations. So, so it all has to live in me and it has to live in me in this very, very clear way. I mean, I don't want to go down this road. Just one more sentence for the, Last three nights, right? I mean, I've been in this very, very intense place of kind of, I don't know what to call it, but kind of like a, um, kind of like an awake mystical dreaming. And, and in each dream, I'm hearing her say, clarify your emotion precisely, right? Not your action. We think it's about action, but just to clarify the way you feel. We think that feeling is what happens to us. We have the capacity to be masters of feeling because my feeling is not this local psychological structure in me. My feeling is the field of feeling, the field of eros. So the entire tree of life is the field of reality. All of the feelings live in the field. And so it's not my psychological separate structure, separate self idiosyncratic structure. It's the unique irreducible expression Right of a larger feeling in the field, which has its own quality that's now uniquely awake in me, so I can actually access the original source of that feeling in the field, 
let it infuse. This is a very direct practice. And let's say I'm feeling anger. Let's start with anger. Right? Or so I access anger not in my personal story. I drop the story. Step one is I drop the story. I let the story go. Then I go back to the field of she. I access the quality of anger in the field, which is a pure quality. Mm-hmm. Then I bring that pure quality back into my my body. I let that pure quality fill me up. And then I see how does that apply or not apply, right, to my separate self situation. And the same thing's true with joy. And the same thing's true mm-hmm. with ecstasy. The same thing's true with brokenness. Meaning I've got to access that feeling in the field. It's not my feeling. I've got to access it. So any deep iconography lives, right, is an expression of an elemental, simple pshat, right, mm-hmm. level one, right, a simple second simplicity, a profound feeling that lives in me that I then needed to give words to. So I gave it words in a theosophical structure. I gave it words in iconography, right? Mm-hmm. But actually, that feeling, let's say, of the goddess, right, who, who's coming, you know, with the butcher knife and with the nourishment, right, th- that, that experience quite literally lives in me. Yeah. Right? I feel life radically threatening me. But at my very core, I'm threatened. And at my very core, I'm nourished. Mm. Right? And we can't, we, you can't have a conversation about anything without having, a, right, a field. I mean, last example, and we'll, we'll step into our conversation today. I mean, I, I couldn't sleep last night. Right? I had a, um, um, KK and I had a, um, a, 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 an agreement we were going to meet and watch a movie. So KK picked the movie. It was Maestro. KK, if you're listening, I don't know if you're listening, honey. She fell asleep about nine minutes into the movie. Right? <laughs> if I was, and that's what KK does. She picks a movie and then she falls asleep nine minutes later. I'm stuck with the movie, right? Which is kind of a, a separate problem. We're not going to go down that road right now, right? But in any case, so um, so Maestro is about Leonard Bernstein. So afterwards, you know, I, I'm like completely awake and can't sleep and like. All sorts of images are kind of moving through me. So I, you know, flip on something that someone had mentioned to me, and it's this discussion. I looked a bunch of things up about the issue of kind of consent and sexuality. It was a intellectual debate between a couple of academics on consent, and I'm working on the phenomenology of Eros, so I listened to it. And I just realized, and, and one of the lines in it was, citing a particular scholar, is that consent is what transforms ostensible rape into lovemaking. Right? No, what a horrible sense, right? Just to say, mm-hmm. right? In other words, in other words, you can't talk about consent without realizing there's a field of desire. It's not some weird thing moving through. There's a field of desire in which you participate, in which you both participate. You can't even have a conversation around sexuality if you understand sexuality to be this unique, strange thing that lives in you, that it's in violation of the nature of reality, where the default position is it would be rape and consent transforms it into lovemaking. Mm-hmm. What a horror. Right? Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a field of desire in which I participate, and actually the two sefirot we're about to come to is about the field of desire and the two dimensions of desire, which are boundary and breaking boundary. Right? Mm-hmm. But that... Those are two qualities mm-hmm. of the field. And right. so, so without that, you can't even have a conversation. So here mm-hmm. we go. Okay, we're, we're, we're up for these two qualities. Wonderful. Um, and just, you know, again, uh, I, I've 
so excited about what you're talking about because it, it, it's so close to my own tradition. We talk about rasas and rasas are fields of, you know, of, of pure feeling and they have different textures and tones and like music and, and, you know, uh, some of them are fierce and wrathful and destructive like Gavora and some of them are beautiful and sweet like, like Hesed, right? Well, well, for, for yes, 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 except for the last sentence, which is, we've got to decide whether Gavur is wrathful and Chesed sweet. So that's Okay, not- okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I knew that I'd have, I'd, I, I, you'd have to correct me there. Somewhere. No, no, no correction. I'm just, I'm saying that was, that was a, but, but, but yes, they're, they're in the sense that there are these, it's so helpful to know that I'm not crazy, right? That my craziness mm-hmm. is sane. I mean, <laughs> Right, right, meaning that when these, when, when this brokenness overwhelms me, it's the brokenness, right, of goddess and mourning, right? When, when, when ecstasy overwhelms me, right, it's a field, right? And it's, in other words, my entire interior is the tree of life, which is the field of reality as it lives in me uniquely. And, and then my life is so much larger and so much more beautiful. And then I can begin to mythologize and not pathologize, mm-hmm. right? And what we basically do is we, 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 not only do we, pathologize, if we just pathologize, it would be okay, then we go to medicalize, right? And, and, and what we mm. basically do is we, we, we don't have a way, right, of actually engaging the fullness of the human being. So we create this model of a human being who's supposed to be functional in a particular socioeconomic structure and productive in a very particular way within very, and if a person's not that way, they're pathological. Yeah. And if, and if we didn't have these communities, we'd, we'd all be in, in one of those places probably, right? Right. Right. And it's, we, we, we basically medicalize, right? People actually who refuse, right, to actually bow to the imposed structure of an insane society. Right. But actually, those people are often the prophets of sanity. Right. And so, so we, we have to actually begin to kind of evolve the source code and reweave the field and realize that we live in this. Right. What the tree of life says is, is that we live in a participatory universe and a map of the universe in which we participate is the tree of life. It's not the only map, but but it's a primary. It's the Solomonic map. It's the map of the lineage of Solomon, which which. Mm-hmm informed the renaissance right now you can't for example yeah. you can think about gurdjieff without going through the renaissance gurdjieff is integrating from different post-renaissance schools right into his particular integration of it right yeah. okay so tree of life my friend tree of life yeah tree of life, so right? has is is the first day of creation you know uh, on one level it's it's light i guess um, but it's also kindness and compassion and, and so and let's l- start. L- l- that's all, I mean a bunch of things, right? Also, uh, I've I've uh, reading Deanne Fortune's book. She talks about how it's it's like Wu Wei Wu is the doing of not doing the opening, and then and then whereas whereas or maybe I'm getting it mixed up. Whereas Gavura is, is sort of the action active force. Um, Anyway, yeah. these are just a bunch yeah. of bunch and of ideas start. and things that I've let's read start. about them. So let's hear your. Let's get started. That's a great start. So let let's go. Um, if it's okay, brother, we'll go we'll go slow, so we can go fast, right? Derech arukashik We'll take the longer way, which is the shorter way. So let's just start with the word chesed. So it would be if we're writing in the chat box, it would be C H E S E D chesed. Just so people kind of get the word chesed. C H E S E D chesed. And chesed means, right, it's a very, very interesting word, right? So l- l- let's go the long way. So you've heard of chasidism. Mm-hmm. So chasidism is chesed, 
Ah. Right? A chassid is a chassid person. But what a chassid person means is the law is not enough for me. Ah, I want more. I want more. So we generally think that chassid is breaking the boundary of the law by going against the law, right? By going Mm -hmm. antinomian. We think, right, right, right. I break a boundary. I'm antinomian. I'm, I'm against nomos. But actually, I can be transnomian. And trans- the letter of the law is not enough, right? That's right. The law is not enough. I am, I, it's not enough for me to live with you divine in a kind of classical marriage where people can barely communicate and we're not sure how we got here and, and, and we don't feel the same way and we've lost the thread, right, of, of eros and we don't even know how to have a conversation. We call it a marriage and I don't want that. I want to be a fussy. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I want to. I want. I want to be radically merged. I want to be filled with passion. I want to be able to bracket my ego, give up our history, and begin anew with you, God, every single day. That's the Hasidic revolution. So the Hasidic revolution is law is not enough. Right? It's very beautiful. Right? It's not. It's. It's generally painted in kind of a lot of the Western literature as this kind of revolution against the law. Well, it was a revolution against the law, but what it said is law is not enough. It doesn't, it's not passionate enough. They're not beautiful enough. So chesed is always to break the boundary of classical limitation, whatever classical limitation is. Now, that means that it's going to have both a, a shadow and a light quality. But chesed is the, the experience of desire. That's what chesed is, the experience of desire, which moves to break classical boundaries. So it could be a desire for more God. So I break the boundary of the classical homo religiosus in Hebrew wisdom who keeps just the law. And I say the law is not enough. Right. I want to dance. So you always see pictures of right Hasidim. And, you know, and, I, and I, I come from a Hasidic tradition. Right. In other words, mm-hmm. from a Hasidic tradition, you dance. You dance in ecstasy, but there's no law to dance. Right. But, but the law is not enough. Right. So mm-hmm. we dance in ecstasy. Right. So mm-hmm. or, or I say I don't just want to love. I want outrageous love. So outrageous love means I want love that participates in the quality of chesed that breaks all boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, so boundary-breaking eros, right, both in its sacred form, meaning, so for example, a person might say, I'm going to fast for seven days because of chesed, because I want to mm-hmm. become closer to the divine, right? So, right, and we always think, right, it must be some rave where you're having sex with 72 versions and an Islamic version of a particular kind of fundamentalism on particularly good kinds of, you know, you know, MDMA, and that's chesed. Well, not exactly. Chesed, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> that's a version. But chesed means I'm breaking the, the boundary of limitation in order to be in my utter fullness. Now, it can have shadow. So, for example, incest in biblical texts in the book of Leviticus is called chesed. Mm-hmm. Right. right, incest. Right, why? This because goes back to our conversation on Shabtai Sfi a little bit, uh, perhaps. This goes back to our conversation on Shabtai Sfi. Exactly right. So, 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 in other words, meaning I, I'm loving so much, and my love is love desire, and then I break the boundary, right? and that's a shadow, right? And obviously, mm-hmm. incest is a shadow breaking of the boundary, right? As as has been, you know, articulated psychologically very powerfully, right? By you know all cultures appropriately and correctly so. Right. And so so we say, no, 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 you can't break that boundary. Right. So that's an anti-chesed position correctly. So chesed is a neutral term which describes boundary breaking. Mm-hmm. So this is a very so one of the stories of God. You begin to see how beautiful it gets. 
is we say there's 10 divine stories. So one of the stories of reality is boundary breaking. Okay. So that would mean, sorry to interrupt, that would mean that Gavura is boundary making, would it? I mean, I don't want to get ahead of us too much, but but, but that's the obvious conclusion, right? So we have a dyad now. That's starting to get interesting. So we have a dyad in the tree of life. We have a dyad in the tree of life, and the dyad is chesed, boundary breaking, right? Gvura. Now let's just go go careful for a second. So the word gvura. Let's go literal for a second. So gvura. Let's just first say the word G E V U R A H. Thank you, sir. Who just whoever just put that up? Who is that? Um, Lane. Lane. I owe you an email. Thank you. Okay. Lane, thank you for putting that up. Okay, brother, right? So, Lane, right? So, Gvura, G-E-V-U-R-A-H, Gvura is Gibor, is mm-hmm. hero, right? Mm-hmm. And the hero, right? let's, let's stay close, the hero is one, so, and this is what's called a contronym in English. Mm-hmm. A contronym means you have a word and its opposite. So, the word Gever, masculine, Gever is masculine, mm-hmm. Gibor is hero, Okay. So what it means is Gever is that which is which overwhelms, right? So the overwhelmed feeling that can live in a man or a woman. So it's not men, man or woman. And so the overwhelmed feeling is the feeling, I would say, the the feeling, let's say, in sexuality of the 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 emergence of aroused desire that feels like it's gonna overcome me. Right? So there's that feeling. So that's chesed. Then the capacity to direct it, to create a boundary, to choose how to apply it, right? To to actually engage it and to reshape it is Gvura. Yeah, uh, Dion calls it the Dragon Slayer. Does so that it, work for you? It's well, not a, but but or but at I, least the knight. Uh, the knight is somebody who disciplines his. That's right. His the knight, the knight. You know, you know, Lancelot has good and bad days in his Guinevere, you know, kind of attraction. <laughs> but so, right there's that, right? But but, but yes, there's, so there's this notion of, of Gibor, but the Gibor is not a dragon slayer. See, that's the thing. The dragon slayer, that's why is already deep influence of Western culture and body mind splits. I'd rather say the dragon befriender. Mm-hmm. I want to make friends with the dragon. The dragon seducer, maybe. The dragon seducer. I want to engage the dragon. I want to transmute uh-huh. that energy because yeah. the, and, and this is where often I think that, um, um, the fortune school, if you will, right, gets very, very subtly influenced by Western principles and is unaware of the influence, right? Because the dragon, there's something in Kabbalah in the Zohar in volume three, which is called the left-handed emanation, which is yeah. called the way of the dragon. Yeah. Well, is it sometimes associated with like the left-hand paths or the left hand of God? It, and, and that, it is, sort of it is yeah. not unrelated, brother, to the left-hand mm-hmm. paths. And okay. so the way of the dragon is more like the way where I ride the dragon, right? Mm-hmm. I want to ride the dragon. I want to actually have a relationship to the dragon. And, and, and that's why, you know, the riding of the dragon is not the dragon slayer, St. George, we slay the dragon. It's more like I befriend the dragon. I make friends, right, with, with the shadow. So we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. But befriending the shadow, engaging the shadow, Lirazi, that would be, right, our unique self shadow, right? That whole hundred pages is about that particular approach so so let's talk about boundary breaking and let's talk about right the capacity to create a boundary which then becomes fruitful which is generative so for example 
Let's say you and I have a conversation right now. Here's the perfect example. So just by us limiting the conversation to the two of us in this moment, even though lots of people have lots of important things to say, we're, we're surrounded by people who are wise and deep and, and, you know, and wonderful. Nonetheless, by limiting the conversation to us, we create a space. That's a limitation. Mm-hmm. There's a diet. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, if we'd have lots of people talking, it would be great, but we wouldn't have the space. That's a boundary. Mm-hmm. But that's right there. That is Gvura. That's right? Gvura. Got it. Boundary. That's marriage is Gvura. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. It's in some sense, it's just the two of us. Right. So, okay. Bad rendition of the song. Got it. Okay. But you get the idea, right? It's if it's just the two of us, right? So then it creates by, by making it just us and creating a boundary around us, right? It allows something to be generated that couldn't be generated without the boundary. Right. That's a very, very powerful idea. And, and, and it could be what we could do now if you're up for it, love, is we could kind of just try and go deep into this. In other words, what is chesed? What is the quality of boundary breaking? What's chesed? And what's gvura, right? What is the quality of boundary creating? Both of which are not sweet or angry, hmm. right? That is, both of us are, bo- are both sweet and angry. Oh, yeah. Well, I got, got that. Yeah. Right, right? Well, I was our- thinking of a parent and a child uh, as you were talking. Like, you know, my child has this incredible expressiveness, and then I have to sort of contain that to give him a place where... It's not that I'm being fe- necessarily being right. fierce with them. I'm just creating a boundary. In fact, if I am fierce with them, maybe that would destroy the the, the dance between the boundary and the non-boundary. And, and 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 maybe I need to be both tender and fierce, right? Yeah. And maybe fierce is not mean. Maybe there's a quality of fierceness which is not mean, but it's like draw, yeah. right? I mean, I noticed, um, you know, as Zion was supposed to spend the weekend with me, but the snowstorm kind of uh, subvented it. But in other words. When I see Zion, the first thing he wants to do is actually he wants to wrestle, right? In other words, he wants to he wants to engage. He wants to kind of rah, <laughs> you know. So we have a kind of, and he's now 13, but we've been doing some version of the monster mash when we meet for you know seven eight years because mm-hmm. there's a fierceness to the meeting that actually has has sacred energy. So gvurak, yeah. a fierceness to it, right? Yeah. It has a sharpness to it. It has a boundary to it. It has a, right? And, and, and it has this quality that plays with boundary breaking. And so maybe, maybe what we can do is, here's a way to, to, to play it. So this is a good place to engage the principle of the sexual models, the erotic, right? Which is a, mm-hmm. a core principle in cosmorotic humanism. And it's based on a verse in the book of Job, which is core to the lineage of Solomon. And the verse is, we've talked about it before, brother, right through my body, I vision God. And so my body is, is, is the, is the, the polymorphously perverse, right? That the body of desire, which participates in the field of desire. And that models Eros, which is the larger field of ethos, of Eros, of creativity, of nobility, right? Of all of that. So if we think about it for a second, there's a there, there's a very, very beautiful text, which is the very last text in the Talmud. It appears in two places. And, you know, roughly, and, and, and those of us who have studied, you know, over the last you know, 15 years, we have a sense of this text. But basically, the, the short version of the story is, is you have this man who comes home, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, you know, from the Aramaic, he comes home early from a business trip. 
right? Right. He he kind of rushes in, honey, I'm home. He hears kind of some rustling upstairs and he's very excited to go see his wife. And he he rushes up, right, you know, to to the bedroom. And there is his wife, you know, unclothed on the bed. He's a little surprised, but, you know, kind of delighted. And, um, you know, there are these these cookies, right, that are on the side. And he's about to go eat the cookies, right? And, you know, he has a particular allergy of some kind, whatever it is. And then this voice comes out from the closet, tumbling out, and it's the milkman who says, don't eat the cookies. Right? That's the case in the Talmud, which, you know, give mm-hmm. or take, right? And so, <laughs> and so, 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 so the Talmud has this debate, this legal debate. Is the milkman considered legally an adulterer or not? So, right, you know, the general opinion is, well, of course. Right. And as he got home early, the milkman's there. Right. I mean, right. In other words, you know, clearly. Right. And so some people are confused. So so if he's an adulterer, he would want the wife, says the second opinion. So if he stopped, if he knew that the guy had an allergy and he stopped him from eating the cookies, which would have killed him, he's probably not an adulterer. Because if he was an adulterer, clearly he wants the wife sexually. If he would, if the husband would have eaten the cookies and died, he would have gotten the wife sexually. So clearly he's not an adulterer. That's the second opinion. To which the first opinion replies and says, no, no, he only wants her if she's married. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> in other words, right? In other words, okay? he does want her, but only if she's married. Right? Yeah. The worst thing that could happen to his field of desire is she becomes available. Right? Right. So, yeah, what the, is most taboo is often the most, you know, thing that so draws the us. Then, the, the Talmud then cites this opinion, right? Said Rabbi Isaac, right? Stolen waters are sweet, right? From Solomon. Right. And then he says, and he says, and from the day that the temple was destroyed, the the passion of Eros was taken from the righteous and given to the violators. Right? Mm-hmm. Meaning, meaning that not the temple historically, but in temple consciousness, mm-hmm. you have full desire for the person who's available to you. Yeah. Right? right. But in when the temple falls, meaning when you lose access to temple consciousness, then you only have desire when you're breaking a certain kind of boundary. Yeah. You're in the, the mimetic rivalry mode like that Gerard talks about, right? You're in some sort of, it's there's only, always a third element. There's always a shadow to your desire. It's only when it's illicit Right. When you're breaking a boundary, right, that actually you have desire. But 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 now 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 let's stay close because this is where this where so the Talmud seems to be saying, right, that actually desire that's associated with boundary breaking, right, is an expression of right the fall of temple consciousness. That's not exactly right. Right? In other words, and, and so and, and there's actually an entire school of thought, right? So for example, my friend Esther. We had a bunch of conversations about this, Esther Carroll. So Esther talks about, you know, Eros being only transgressive, right? Eros is transgressive. It has to be boundary breaking or there's no erotic charge. But that's actually not true. That's not what the lineage is saying. What the lineage is saying is, is you have to be able to cultivate discernment around your boundary breaking, right? Meaning, meaning what happens is if you're not boundary breaking for real in your life, if you're not boundary breaking, Right. And, in, in, you know, you know, as 
you know, experiencing yourself in every second. I am the bride of Shekhinah, but I'm the bride of reality. I am princess bride, right? I am the goddess herself. I am God himself, right? And I am breaking boundaries to new levels of loving, to new levels of eros, to new levels, new capacities of desire. I'm ripping my heart open again and again, right? And as I'm, I'm loving anew like I've never done before. If I do that, so I've, I've got to be constantly boundary breaking. So if I'm constantly boundary breaking for real, then I don't need to boundary break artificial boundaries. And also, you're, if you're if you're boundary breaking effectively, you have a boundary around you that allows you to do that. Uh, I'm, like I'm thinking, for example, of my marriage. You know, I'm the boundary breaker. You know, in in in, my, in our marriage, and my wife is always like, you know, watch out, be careful. You know, you're going too far. Or, Something like that, right? And then so so that this allows me not to end up in the the loony bin, right. you know. <laughs> so you need you need someone to hold you as you boundary break. Yeah, right, who's like for sure? Yeah, first off, yes, 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 yes. And actually, um, you know, um, uh, uh we, we, you know, um, you know, no, yes, yes. I'll just leave it a yes, yes, yes. And let's make this distinction, right? Which is I need to incarnate the quality of divinity which is erotic boundary breaking. And even in my sexuality, I should be boundary breaking, but not an artificial boundary, mm-hmm. right? Like, right, in other words, I'm only attracted because she's married or I'm only attracted because he's married. Not That's an artificial boundary, but even in my sexuality, I need to be boundary breaking. If I'm not boundary breaking my sexuality, right, right, then basically you lose the thread of eros, right? Because yeah. you've seen that body before. It's not arousing. So you have to be boundary breaking within your sexuality and boundary breaking is what we do is we don't, we don't break boundaries. So we find a new toy. A new toy doesn't do it. Or we add a person or we, we try a new position. That's not boundary breaking. That's just new mechanics. Boundary breaking means there's a level of vulnerability. There's a level of self revelation, deeper intimacy. There's, there's a part of me I'm willing to let show up. That's never showed up before. Right. Mm. So, Mm. so, we can make love over 20 years and it's never the same because we always walk in, right, like a virgin, right, for the very first time in which we actually rip open a new part of my heart. A new part of me shows up. And when that new part of me shows up, then, then there's a new quality of arousal and there's a new fuck and there's a, a new eros. And as you say, brother, there's a new intimacy. So I have to be boundary breaking in my sexuality. I've got to be boundary breaking in my creativity. I've got to be boundary breaking in my love. I can't love you like I loved you. But if I love you like I loved you yesterday, right, that, that, then love wilts and dies. So the quality of chesed is, on the one hand, right, I've got to completely break the boundary of the way I sex and the way I create and the way I love, but not the artificial boundary. The artificial boundary means I've exiled boundary breaking into its artificial form of stolen waters or sweet. And therefore, I just I need to be that. And that's that's where you get kind of inappropriate promiscuity because I'm just boundary breaking because I need a new pair of breasts or a new body. Right. Or a new something. Right. In order to be aroused. No, no. What I want to do is I want to actually not I want to not see a new body. I want to see the same body with new eyes. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. In other words. And then at the same time, I need gvura, I need boundary, and boundary means that that the currency of eros that's moving through me 
doesn't unmoor me, right? It, it actually grounds me, right? My commitments become deeper, right? My my precision becomes deeper, right? I, I'm mm-hmm. actually I'm both overta- I'm both surrendered, overtaken, and yet more myself than I ever was. And that's related to what you were talking about the last time about ethics, I think, right? Yes. You know, the eros being, you know, deepening yes. your your ethical commitment. Yes. yes. And, I, and rather I'm, than the other way around, rather than it being, you know, a, a pursuit of stolen stolen sweetness. Right. Stolen and, waters. And I, uh-huh. No, exactly, love. Right. In other words. I'm going to find the right words with you, right? And it's, I'm so overtaken. I'm so surrendered. I've broken all inappropriate boundaries. It's that I'm so, I'm in my radical freedom, which grounds me in the right identity, in the right, in my selfness, in my right boundary, more than anything else in the world will. And mm-hmm. it's an externally imposed boundary, which cuts off my eros, it's the natural, irreducibly unique expression of my eros. And, and, and the ultimate gura, the ultimate heroism, is the unique self-hero. And I know we're going to start, God willing, when is it in September, with you and me and Lirazi and David, we're going to start you know, doing every other month this, this unique self kind of dive into this new form of enlightenment, this cosmorotic humanism, unique self. But what, what unique self is, unique self is the ultimate boundary. right? In other words, and there's a boundary called Andrew Sweeney-ness. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's a boundary which both needs to be protected. Right. I can't violate that boundary. And, right. But it also it's a unique boundary. And no matter what Mark Goffney can do, there's no matter what I do, I can never express the beauty and the depth and the wonder that will emerge from the unique configuration. A configuration is a boundary of Andrew Sweeney-ness. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so unique self is actually the precise dance or dialectical tension right, or coincidentia oppositorium right between chesed boundary breaking mm-hmm. so i break all the boundaries of superficiality all the boundaries of artificiality right until i'm so clarified that i'm in the perfect boundary configuration of andrew sweeniness mm-hmm. right that's how more and more it's interesting you've kind of reversed my notion a little bit of these two two things because I kind of thought of Gavora as being cutting things, like, you know, breaking apart things that need to be broken apart. Whereas it is, Hesed, it is in a way, but Hesed is in a way, it's the, it's the breaking of boundaries. So Hesed is, is, is this, is this, whereas, whereas Gavora is, is, you know, placing a, a limitation, you know, boundary, not a limitation, no, but, but, a, but I'm, I'm getting all the words wrong here, but, no, 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 no. Let, <laughs> but it seems it like it'd be a, re- a bit of a reversal of how I, I, I saw the, the two in the beginning. Let, let, let's stay, but let's stay with your original vision. Let's 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 synergize them because I think that they they deserve that, right? Because I think it's accurate. Gvura is a cutting away, right? But Gvura limits all that is artificial, right? Gvura means right that I discern between pseudo eros and eros. Mm-hmm. So Gvura is the heroism. Right, that understands that the opposite of the holy is the superficial. Mm-hmm. Got it. Right, that's Gavura. Right, I mean, in some sense, if you would, here, I'll, let's give an example of it. Here, this is a book called The Shallows. It was written in 2010. Right, um, Zach and I are finishing this book on um, on kind of value and techno feudalism. So this is written by Nicholas Carr. It was kind of the first book in this genre, and he appropriately called it The Shadow. 
the shallows. And shallow means superficial. And it's a description of the contemporary Internet. And the contemporary mm. Internet is precisely a collapse of Gevura, right? Mm. In other words, what, what is it? In other no words, boundaries, yeah. That, that's right. Now, the contemporary Internet is the exteriorization of the postmodern mind. Now, the postmodern mind has no plot line. There's mm. no story that's better than any other story. So basically, you jump any place, right? There's no storyline. You can There's no current of desire that has a plot line and a storyline. So you're just jumping around every place. There's no there's no storyline. There's no boundary that locates you, right? And so that's mm. shallowness. So he calls the internet the shallows mm. because 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 you go to you go to read something. So you read a line and you've got a hyperlink, right? Then you're off to the hyperlink. Then you're kind of back to the next hyperlink. And then you come back like, you know, 45 minutes later and you've read one line, right? Because the Internet's designed as an, yeah. in, in now my language, not he doesn't talk about this, but he uses the word the shallows, but he intuits something, right? That actually, and that's what I'm calling the Internet is, is this exteriorization. It's an exterior expression of, of, of the interior quality of the postmodern mind, which has no gvura. There's no mm. discipline. Right. You know, yeah, I've got no. my phone. Look, look at my phone. I've got my phone here. Right. So I've got my phone. So let's just you know, go away here. Do not disturb. Go away. Why are you doing this to me now when I'm trying to open you? Hold on. Hold on. Here we go. So let's take a look at this. This is great. So you look at look at my phone. OK, this is my phone. So my phone is filled with all these icons and each one is trying to grab my attention. Each one's shiny. Yeah. Yeah. They're designed by Boggs as persuasive technology laboratory that Tristan's talked about, right? And mm-hmm. each intended to take me out of, out of kind of the currency of desire. Here, 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 no boundary. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Right. So Gvura is this well, appropriate boundary. Wonderful. Appropriate well, what I was thinking about, if if you don't, I was just thinking about please, how please. how the shallowness of the internet, you know, and how that affects all of us. Uh, and how that affects me could create a kind of dialectic where, oh, we need Gavura now. So in, in my in my case, you know, I was writing a lot of essays and I've gone back to writing poetry because I don't want I don't want to I don't want to think you know in this mechanical way in the shallow mechanical way that that's being thrust upon me on, on endless blogs on the internet. I, I want right. to go back into something more intimate and interesting and expressive Beautiful. like poetry. So so I think that. I think that there's an opportunity with the shallowness. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? You know, that's beautiful, right? In other words, in other words, poetry is in some sense, right? And you could say it like this. Language, language has different dimensions, but the shadow of language is gvura. Does that make sense, everybody? The shadow of language is gvura. Or the right? depth. Right? So the sh- So language is this... You have this full range of expression, and then a word, right, is this is this narrowing of expression to a particular meaning, right? A language has a particular boundary, which is why, for example, Leonard Slater, sitting in Mill Valley in like 1995 or something like that, wrote a book called The Alphabet and the Goddess, right? Mm-hmm. And the goddess for him was Eros, right? And language, so language is gvura, is boundary, right? Mm-hmm. And poetry, right, and it's most... Poetry is where I'm trying to break the boundary of words into the field of eros itself. Yeah, exactly. So that's chesed. So that's chesed. So mm-hmm. that's beautiful, right? Now, now paradoxically, right? Poetry, chesed, right, is an expression of silence, 
Mm-hmm. It's actually an expression of a particular erotic union between language and silence. Mm-hmm. The erotic union between language and silence is poetry. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And it's like, ah. Yeah. And, 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 and that's why, so I need every relationship has to have boundary and boundary breaking. Hmm. And, and I need to, and, and, and I need to always be engaged in boundary, which means I'm in my story. I'm not an imposter. Does that make sense? But to be yeah. an imposter is to be not in Gvura. Gvura means, Gvura is about actually, it's not just limitation, it's authenticity, right? Hmm. In, other, in other words, I can't be Lane Harrison. Can't do it. Not going to happen. Right. There's an authenticity to Lane that if Andrew tries to imitate, he'll be an imitator. He'll be an imposter. So. So, again, it, what we've done is we've literally transformed the way people understand Gura. Gura is understood very superficially as this kind of limitation, this kind of. No, no, no. Gura means mm. it's a configuration that is right. Shatiness. That is Simoniness. Right. That is Dorothyness. Right. Right. It's that. Right. And, and then that's filled with chesed. Right. With this currency of radical eros. Mm-hmm. Right. That, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But also limiting yourself because the Internet provides you infinite um, information. So, and then and then you have to shut it down and you right, have to go in. You have to limit yourself to one right. thing right. rather than doing 15 other things or you just become attention, right. you know, manically attention deficit. Well, so, so here's, here's maybe the, the last thing. This is a very good, a good place to, so, the, the entire tree of life are actually ten expressions of the field of Eros. That's the nature of the tree of life. There's a field of Eros, and the tree of life is ten expressions of the tree of, tree of Eros, or the field of Eros. And the field of eros is the field of attention. He just introduced the word attention, which is a beautiful, beautiful word. And, and Carr's phrase in this forgotten book right, is that the Internet is, is, is the expression of scattered attention. Yeah. A good phrase, right? So I'm going I'm to cite Carr for it. So, so eros is the placing of attention. But when I place attention, I have to do it like a virgin, meaning I have to be, allow myself to be surprised. Right. Right. And right. And, and right. And you know exactly what I mean. Right. I allow myself to be surprised. So when I study the Dharma, which which I've been formulating day and night for the last 15 years. Right. Right. I will always. Study it anew, meaning it's why I, you know, I, it, it's why I, I never have any time because I never rely on yesterday. But I always do my best to kind of approach it with fresh eyes. And empty myself out and place my attention anew for the very first time. But when I do that, then, then I'm in Eros and I'm in the field. Right? And so chesed is one way of placing attention. Right? I break the boundary of yesterday and I place my attention anew. Right? In a new way. Right? That's one side of the placing of attention. Gvura is, right? I place my attention. Right? In other words, I, I won't, I don't keep shifting prisms. I'm looking through a very particular prism. So Da Vinci is always looking through Da Vinci's prism. And I have got to beware of not becoming an idolater. And an idolater means I'm serving not through my authenticity, but through the stranger in me, 
Remember George Steiner, what did he say? He said, strangers are we, errants at the gates of our own psyche. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so when I serve through the, so avodah zara, idolatry is avodah to serve zara through the stranger. Right? In other words, in other words, there's an authenticity to my unique unfolding. And so we're together, when we're together in a story of value, I, I see through that story and I don't try and keep shifting the story. I mean, there's this major thing, you know, in the kind of human potential new age world. Everyone's always jumping to a new model. Let me learn a new modality. Let me learn a new model. Let me, right? Let me, and, and there's this sense of it. And that's like a new, that's like an, a new body. It's like, the, it's an inability to kind of locate myself deeply inside and then to see a new. Now, of course, you can keep switching to a new one until you get the best one. That's legitimate. But in the end, I need to basically be placing my attention, my unique attention, my authenticity, that's Gvura, and then to do it virginally, right? To be madly surprised, right? To let my attention be placed for the very first time and to break the boundary of all yesterdays right? and to be madly surprised by the inherent newness in the moment. And maybe that's the, for me, the last, the last thing, which is the nature of the moment. It's why it's true. It's why it works. It's why it's not a psychological trick, but it's the nature of reality is this moment never existed before. Yeah. You're right? making me understand the, the lines from the Madonna song, like a virgin touch for the very first time on a whole new level. Uh, Mark. Amen. So, so thank you. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Madonna, right? Right. Yay, Madonna, right? But it's really, it's, it's, I mean, maybe that's, that's, that, that's a beautiful place, at least for, for me to close, which is the reason this is true is because every moment is inherently new. Yeah. And that's the nature of the moment is that the moment there's no heresy, right? The only real heresy is to believe that this moment, right, is the same as the previous moment. And if I believe that, then transformation is not possible. The possibility of transformation that there's a possibility, a chesed, a boundary breaking available in this moment that has never been available in history before. That's the possibility of hope. Wow. Right? Otherwise, we're lost in cycles of repeating violence. Right? That become hopeless. So hope is, right? Hope is the realization that in the present there's a radical originality. Chesed. Mm-hmm. Right? Radical. I can make love in a way that we never have before. Right? A radical newness that's ontologically available. That there's an ontology to it. It's, it's, it's real. Like, oh my God, right? Oh my God, right? Chesed and Gura, right? We, we've gotten two more steps in the tree of life. What a crazy delight. Well, yeah, I mean, there's more to say. You just mentioned something about heresy, which I thought was incredibly deep. So, um, but, 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 yeah, let's continue with Tiferet next time, I guess. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll pick up. What, do, you, do you want to close this thing about heresy, my friend? Please don't. Oh, don't I would, no, I just thought what you said was wonderful. Uh, like, because usually we think of heresy as kind of law related. Right. You've broken right. a law, but but it's not it's not so much that it's 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 that that we're, we're denying um, right. that denying that denying the uh, irreducible unique original nature of the moment. Yeah, right. I mean, I have no faith in the moment that this moment can birth new possibility. I've lost faith. I'm a heretic. Yeah. Cha, what a crazy delight. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. Well, these just keep getting better and better, um, Mark. Thank, thanks so much. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Cha, do we, do we get to finish with a chant like we usually do? But next time you promise uh, to bring your guitar. 
next time. Because Annette, he didn't do it. Next time, guitar. I gotta buy a guitar. I don't have a guitar at the moment. I have so a little ukulele. You have, you have it? You have it available there? <laughs> Not right now. No. All right, next time, I'm gonna chant. I, this time, I'll chant. Next time. Next time, Andrew's responsible.